Good morning, church. Let me just say that it is a pleasure to be here. Um, when, when Paul writes, he always tells the church how much he loves them. He always tells the church, whether it's Corinth, whether it's Rome, whether it's Philippi, he yearns to be with them. And he's talking about being in a collected group of believers in Jesus Christ who live for the gospel, who are changed by the gospel. Let me tell you that I am encouraged to be with you this morning. It is a day that we get to discover what God has to say in his word. And today we get to understand about the life of an interesting character in the Bible, a man who we know a lot about, but we need to know a little bit deeper. His name is David. Now, before we get into David, I want to understand uh, that we're going to be talking about the power and the truth of kindness. Kindness. Now, kindness is one of these Bibleese words, words in the Bible that we often say, that gets translated into the real world in a different kind of way. We often think of kindness as uh, when a firefighter rescues a cat from a tree. We often see that portrayed. We think of it as when someone buys someone else's bus ticket. Uh, you know, uh, there was a time where I spent in New York City uh, with my parents where someone bought our subway ticket. That was kind of them, but that is what I call vague kindness. Kindness wrought out of obligation for some mysterious sense that you and I don't really know, but we think it's the right thing to do. But the Bible gives us this. The Bible gives us the definition of true kindness. True biblical kindness. It is a reflection of God's glory and how he's worked that out in your life and how you bring that out to others how you share the glory of God that has been received by you and give it to other people. Friends, the purpose of this message is very simple. It is to show you that true kindness, the true kindness of God should be reflected to others every day, lost and saved by how we love each other. We're going to have a running definition of what true kindness is. So if you are a note taker, here's your definition. True kindness is reflecting God's glory in, he how, in how he has worked in your life into the lives of others. It's reflecting God's glory in how he has worked in your life into the lives of others. So this morning, we're going to see three simple lessons we learn about true kindness. Three simple lessons. So if you want to open your Bibles to 2 Samuel, we will be in chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Join me as I read. David asked, is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? There was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba. They summoned him to David the king and said to him, are you Ziba? I am your servant, he replied. So the king asked, is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? Ziba said to the king, there is still Jonathan's son who was injured in both feet. The king asked him, where is he? Ziba answered the king, you'll find him in Lo Debar in the house of Machir, son of Amiel. 
So King David had brought him for had had him brought from the house of Machir, son of Amiel and Lodabar. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, fell face down, and paid homage to David. David said, Mephibosheth, I am your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. Mephibosheth paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should take an interest in a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Paul's attendant, Ziba, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson all that belonged to Saul and his family. You, your sons, and your servants are to work the ground for him, and you are to bring in the crops so your master's grandson will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, it is always to eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba said to the king, your servant will do all my Lord, the king commands. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table, just like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All of those living in Ziba's house were Mephibosheth's servants. However, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. His feet had been injured. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we lift your name on high, and it's in Jesus' name that we proclaim your word. It's in Jesus' name that we are alive. It is in Jesus' name that we open this book and find life. Father, bless the reading of your word and bless our time understanding it. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So three lessons we learn about true kindness. Three lessons. The first lesson is this, is that true kindness changes our desires. True kindness changes our desires. Look at verses one through five. David asked, is there anyone remaining in the family of Saul that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? There was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba. They summoned him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? I am your servant, he replied. So the king asked, Is there anyone left of Saul's family I can show the kindness of God to? See, true kindness changes our desires. And first, we've got to see how David desires to show kindness to keep his promises. See, we start with understanding where David is at in his life right now. David is King David at this point. He's no longer Shepherd David. He's no longer running from Saul David. He's King David at this point in his life. He's slain Goliath. He's already ran from Saul. He's lived out all these trials in his life. Up to this point, he's made a covenant with God saying that he's going to build a temple for him. And he's brought the Ark of the Covenant back home to Jerusalem. David has done a lot of great things. Okay, David is in a great place. He's the top dog right now. But we see throughout all these moments in David's life, it's not what David has done for God, but how God has provided for David. God has provided every single good thing from David. See, he sees that it's not just the vertical enjoyment of God's gifts, the kingdom being alive, having a wife, and having kids. 
It's not not just vertical enjoyment of those blessings from God, but he knows that he needs to carry those out horizontally. He needs to carry out the blessings that God has bestowed upon him horizontally to bless all of those around him. This is when David remembers a promise that he made to Jonathan in 1 Samuel 20. And you don't have to go there, but in 1 Samuel 20, David makes a promise to Jonathan that he will keep his line alive, that he will keep the one friend that he loves the most. He'll provide for his family after he is gone. See, this directly hits us as Christians. Think of what God has given you. God has given you life, first and foremost, every breath that you have, God has given you. But even more than that, he's giving you the precious gift of Christ. God is giving you the precious gift of salvation, the blessing of salvation. God revealing his glory and bringing you to life. That's just not vertical, but it ought to go horizontal. See, David understood a truth that applies to every single one of us today, that we ought to care for all because all are made in the image of God and all need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, if we are not challenged by the blessings that we receive from God to to share them, then we are just misplacing what God has given you and me. The Great Commission does not say stay and keep, but the, God, the Great Commission says go and tell, friends. We are supposed to share the blessing of salvation with those around us. We are supposed to share the blessings that God has given, whether that's monetary, whether that's the food on your table, with those directly around us, the closest people that we have. Think of it this way. If you can hang out with the closest non-Christian you have, could they tell that you are generous with your Christianity? Can they tell that you are generous with your faith? That you are willing to bless them by sharing the gospel? And to the non-Christian that's here this morning, let me tell you that you are welcome, that you are here, And that God has shown you kindness. God has shown you blessing by you being here this morning. That he has brought you here this morning to hear the message of Jesus. And so that we can be challenged to bless you this morning. See, the implication is very straightforward. David has received a blessing from God. And he's carrying that out by remembering the promises that he's made to Jonathan by knowing those he's close to need to be blessed as well. We also see that not only does David remember this promise here, as we saw in verse one when he asked, is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul that I can show kindness to? Who? For Jonathan's sake. He remembers that promise. But we see that David desires to show kindness to the disenfranchised. David desires to show kindness to the disenfranchised. Verse 2, there was a servant of Saul's named Ziba. They summoned him to David, the king, and said to him, Are you Ziba? I am your servant, he replied. 
So the king asked, is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? Is there anybody? Ziba said to the king, there is still Jonathan's son who was injured in both feet. The king asked him, where is he? Ziba answered the king, you'll find him in Debar at the house of Machir, son of Amiel. So David had brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Debar. David desires to show kindness to the disenfranchised. In comes a guy named Ziba, a servant of David. He answer, or sir, and he answers this question. He says, listen, I know there's a descendant of Saul out there. I know Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. And let me tell you, he's in rough shape. He's in rough shape. He's injured in both feet. The man can't walk. The man can't take care of himself. The man can't provide for himself. 2 Samuel 4.4 tells us that, uh, that he was four years old when Jonathan died. So he was deserted as a child. This fatherless, helpless man who deserved nothing is about, to re- to, is about to receive the blessing of the king. Let me tell you, that should stir us right now. That should stir you and me right now. But even, let's, we're going to magnify this even more. Think of every single TV show you had to watch that had to do with a king, okay? When someone takes over that kingdom, what do you do? You wipe out anyone who can contest the throne. Anyone that's a descendant of the former king can come up and say, well, I'm the rightful king. This is my throne. So they take them out. They're seen as a threat. So Jonathan, being the son of the first king, Saul, and his son, Mephibosheth. It's going to take a long time for you and me to say it, but we're going to get it right, I promise. The thought would be to take out the competition, that this Mephibosheth fellow, even though he's paralyzed, even though he's fatherless, even though he's an orphan, is still a threat. He's still someone that I should view as an enemy. But does that stop David? No. See, this is where the the absolutely radical nature of the love of God and the kindness of God comes in. Mephibosheth has all the cards stacked against him. The whole deck, and then another deck on top, and then another deck on top. Everything is saying, this man is not worthy of kindness. This man is not worthy of anything. But David, because God has shown him kindness, because God has shown David mercy and David grace, knows that he must reflect that same grace. We have to go back to our definition. True kindness is reflecting God's glory in how he has worked in your life into the lives of others. David, in this singular moment where he seeks out this paralytic orphan Enemy of the state. Enemy of the throne. And he shows him grace. 
Because David, let's remember where he was at not too long ago. David was running from Saul in fear of his life, ran to his enemies and pretended to be one. Lived in the Philistine camp for almost a year. Compromised. He was in the valley of compromise and he compromised and he compromised and he compromised. You look at David and you say, come on, man. And God shows him grace so that he could become the king. This is where we get boots for our Christianity. This is where the rubber hits the road. Because the disenfranchised is not just meant to be taken care of for David. The disenfranchised is not just meant to be taken care of in the Bible, in the Old Testament, or anywhere. It's supposed to be lived out in the gospel. The gospel means that I was a sinner and now I am saved and now God has given me every spiritual blessing. And I ought to share that with those who are the most undeserving. Friends, the gospel is a serious matter because the gospel is what changes you from death to life. It goes from the grave into victory because of what Jesus did. And it goes to the most undeserving. Think of where you were at before you followed Jesus, before you trusted in him for your salvation. We can think back to moments of, de- of absolute deprivation of anything good. We felt guilt. We felt sin. We felt the presence of Anger and every single emotion that makes us feel even worse. But Christ gives us new life. We were the most undeserving to receive the grace. Because it magnifies the, the work of Jesus Christ in your life and in mine. Think of it. God created the world out of nothing. But for him to take something that was dead and turn it into something that's alive, that's even more amazing. God has shown you the utmost kindness in your salvation. And we ought to be reflecting that in our own lives. And it starts with your desires. We come back to that that main principle, that true kindness changes your desires. This is where the gospel really hits us hard, where we must our hearts must break for the lost. Our hearts must break for the disenfranchised. And friends, we live in a city full of lost people. We live in a city full of brokenness. You can think of neighbors. You can think of friends. You can think of coworkers that are lost and searching for something more who might seem undeserving of true love, who might seem undeserving of a second chance, but let me tell you this, they are not undeserving of the gospel because you were undeserving of anything, but God has given you life in Jesus' name. True kindness changes our desires, but secondly, true kindness, true kindness shows us our condition. True kindness shows us our condition. Read with me verses six through eight. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David, notice here, fell face down and paid homage 
David said, Mephibosheth, I am your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all that your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. Mephibosheth paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should take an interest in a dead dog like me? True kindness shows us our condition. Notice that Mephibosheth, when he comes into the presence of the king, he's already shaking in his boots. He comes down and falls face down and pays homage to the king, hoping that he grants mercy. Because when you're in the presence of the king, what? You realize that you're not the king. You realize how not great you are when you're in the presence of somebody great. Amen? It's like if you and I were to have a throwing competition with Patrick Mahomes. Think about it. You're trying to go up against Patrick Mahomes. I can barely throw a football 30 yards. This man's throwing a football 85 yards. You got to be kidding me. His greatness outshines my pathetic arm. Think about it with the greatness and the holiness of God. Isaiah in chapter 6 comes face to face with the holiness of God. And what does he say? I, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. I am undone. The holiness of God took his heart, showed him how far he is fallen. And that happens with Mephibosheth, this disenfranchised son of Jonathan. He falls face down at the king. The presence of the king makes us look at who we really are. It makes us look at our nature. But notice this. This is the most amazing thing. David said, Mephibosheth, I am your servant, he replied. Look at verse 7. Don't be afraid, David said to him, since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. David gives this good news. He gives this amazing news. You are You're brought into my presence. You are brought into my kingdom. You are going to be treated as like a son. But what does Mephibosheth reply with? Look at verse 8. Mephibosheth paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should take interest in a dead dog like me? See, when we realize the greatness of the gift of grace of God, when we see God's grace shown to us, when we see the gift of eternal life, complete forgiveness and complete redemption in the name of Jesus, we fall even further to the ground. If I could fall lower to the ground, underneath it even, I would because I am completely undeserving of that gift. I have sinned. I have fallen short of God's glory. I am undeserving of this amazing gift. And to see this gift makes me feel the way that Mephibosheth feels, like a dead dog. He sees the greatness of this gift and knows that he's unworthy. 
He knows he's undeserving. He's mortified. He thinks that he's not good enough. But it's a free gift. Mephibosheth, I'm sorry. It's going to take a while. Mephibosheth doesn't have to have some backroom deal with David in order to be a son. He doesn't have to make some kind of bargain with the guards to get him into the table. It's a free gift. The gift of being an adopted son is free from Mephibosheth. And that's what makes him go crazy. That's what makes him realize how much more he's undeserving of it. But friends, Romans 5, 8, in this moment, is the most comforting verse we could ever think of. Paul writes this, But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gift of grace was given to you at your worst, at your most undeserving, at the time where you thought that you were a dead dog. You see the gift of grace. You see the mercy of God. You see the gospel. And you say, I am not worthy of it, but I will receive it. I am unworthy of the love of a holy God who sees my sin. He sees my dirtiness. He sees what I did yesterday. He sees what I did 10 years ago. He sees what I'm going to do. But he still loves me. The gospel is so amazing. It's where we see true kindness shows us our condition, but it shows us the greatness of Jesus. Let me tell you, We're not left here just feeling like scum after every Sunday morning. There's a reason we call it praise. There's a reason we call it worship. There's a reason we call it the gospel because it's the good news of Jesus that we celebrate. It is the greatness of Jesus that he paid the price for you and me by dying on a cross, being the substitution for you on that cross so you can have a relationship with God. That is what we celebrate So we see our condition, but we see the greatness of Christ. We see how Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And friends, that's beautiful. We often read the Bible and we think, this is good information. We often think, it's a good story. But let me tell you this. When we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we understand how we're made alive, there is nothing more beautiful in this world than Jesus. There is nothing more captivating for your heart and your soul than beholding the Son of God and saying, you rescued me. You brought me from the pit of death into eternal life. That is good news, friends. That is good news. And our last lesson is this. True kindness gives us a new status. True kindness gives us a new status. 
And this is where we get into one of the most assuring things in all of the Bible. The assurance we have in adoption. Read with me verses 9 through 13. Then the king summoned Saul's attendant Ziba and said to him, I have given to your master's grandson all that belonged to Saul and his family. You, your sons, your servants are going to work for him, and you are to bring in the crops so your master's grandson will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, is always to eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba said to the king, your servant will do all my lord the king commands. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table, just like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All those living in Ziba's house were Mephibosheth's servants. However, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. His feet had been injured. True kindness gives us a new status. The story doesn't end in Mephibosheth just laying on the ground saying that he's a dead dog. But when he receives that gift, that free gift that David offers up, he's instantly given a new status. Notice he's not Mephibosheth, the potential enemy to the crown the potential usurper of my reign as King David. But this is Mephibosheth, son of my beloved brother Jonathan, an orphan, completely disenfranchised, taken in as my adopted son. The new status is unlike what he was before. It's the exact opposite, actually. He was at enmity with David, just as we were at enmity with God, as James 4 tells us. But Mephibosheth, look what he has. He's restored of what Saul owned in verse 9. He has a provision of food to where he will never starve in verse 10. In verse 11, he's placed on equal plane as the sons of the king. And verses 12 and 13 describe that he has a new home. Now, this is where it gets exciting. Think of what the promises of Jesus are to those who are in Christ. We have been restored true joy in our salvation. We now understand what it means to have a life that is purposeful because the joy is not in our moments, but the joy is in our salvation. He was placed on an equal plane as the son of the king, but let me tell you this, that you and I have been adopted into the family of God as sons and daughters of the one true king, God, the creator of the universe. You and I are adopted into that family. See, the way that Paul describes adoption is this. I got I to gotta talk about this because this is amazing. When you would adopt somebody in the Roman world, the New Testament world that Jesus lived in, it means that you inherited the rights of a son and there was no way that you could lose those rights. 
No way. If you were a natural born son, you could lose them. You could lose them. They could be given to somebody else. But once you were an adopted son, you could not lose your inheritance. You could not lose where you were getting. You could not lose where you were going. And let me tell you, Christian, you believe in Jesus Christ. If you believe in the gospel, you know who you are and you know where you are going. And there's no way that you can lose that assurance in Jesus Christ. It is good news because you are going to heaven. You are going to have new life. You are born again. You are now a son and daughter of God. And then he has a new home. He has a new home. Peter describes Christians as resident aliens, living in a place that is not their home. And that one day we will go to our true home with Christ Jesus in heaven. Oh, glorious day. Think of, of Paul when he says in 1 Corinthians 15, Oh, death, where is your sting? Because he knows the surpassing greatness of his true home in heaven. Let me tell you that it means everything because that moment of kindness that David showed Mephibosheth was wrought out of the grace given to David himself, the mercy given to David himself. He shared that, and that's just a microcosm of what God has given you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we draw to a close this morning, this is where we can reflect on all that David has done for Mephibosheth. And all that Jesus Christ has done for you and me. True kindness, as we learn through this text, is reflecting God's glory in how he has worked in your life into the lives of others. Will you infuse the kindness of God into others by sharing the gospel? Will you infuse the kindness of God into the life of this church by bearing each other's burdens, by approaching each other as family, brothers and sisters in Christ? Or will you ignore what God has called you to do and live in sin? True kindness changes our desires making you more Christ-like by the moment. The Spirit of God works within you to make you look more like Jesus, to push you towards obedience. And that only happens when we spend time discovering who God is in His Word, where we cherish Jesus by beholding Him, spending time in His Word. We saw the true kindness shows you and me our condition, how we're just sinners brought in by the good shepherd to be made right by the perfecter of our faith through his sacrifice on a cross. And we saw that true kindness gave you and me a new status. Friends, this is where the gospel of Jesus Christ, it always amazes me every time. The gospel amazes me when it comes to think that at once I was lost, 
an enemy of God. But now I am a son. I am new. See, God loves you and me so much that he sent his son Jesus here to earth to live a perfect life, to die a death that you and I were due so that we can have a right relationship with God, so that we can be adopted into God's family by being made a son and a daughter of the, of the one true God. Second Corinthians, the apostle Paul tells us that if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. If the old has passed away and the new has come, you take on that new status as a new creation. You take on that status as a true son of God, an adopted son, an adopted daughter. And friends, let me tell you that the words of 1 John 3, 1 tells us the greatest truth. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children and we are. Friends, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, this is the good news. This is the gospel. That Jesus died for you and me to make you his son and to make you his daughter. So we're going to spend some time in prayer and invitation to seek God's face, to seek what the gospel has done in your life and in mine and grow an understanding of how great Jesus is. So I'm going to pray as we enter this time. Father God, we love you. The gospel is amazing. The good news is surpassing with greatness. Father, you have lifted us up from the grave and given us new life. You have made us alive, made us a new creation. The old is past, the new has come, Lord. And if you have a soul that is searching, a soul that is longing in here this morning, Lord, whether for assurance of their own salvation or whether for the first time they are accepting Jesus Christ as Lord of their life, I pray that you work in their hearts to seek your face. Father, we come to you this morning yearning for your presence. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.